Second John, verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. This is part two in our series on Islam, a Christian. The title of this one is Abiding Not in the Doctrine of Christ. This verse is a warning against all following after false teachings, following after false doctrines and denying the doctrines of Christ. It warns against following after those false religions and false teachers and false prophets that deny the doctrine of Christ, which is that he is the only Son of God, that he is eternal God, always and will ever be, that he is the sinless, virgin-born Son of God that was crucified, buried, and rose again the third day, paying the penalty of sins for all mankind, and that through him, and only him is the way of eternal life. Acts 4.12 Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There is no other name on earth or in heaven we are to place our faith in other than Jesus Christ. The Bible warns against those that would come after him and teach a false religion, and we are told not to receive them or take of their evil teachings. The founder of Islam, Muhammad, came after Christ doing just that. He taught a false doctrine and gave a false deeds and works-based path to an eternity of sorts. We have already looked at the early historical origins of Islam, the life of Muhammad and his early followers. We discussed the importance of the Quran to the followers of Islam in our previous message on this series. In this one, we'll be looking at some of the tenets of Islam and its beliefs and practices. We need to at least have a general knowledge of these so we can defend our faith from the attacks it might face from this front to help us get a better understanding of Islam and to help us be able to witness to Muslim friends or acquaintances. Some of the basic Islamic articles of faith. We'll look at a brief overview of some of the most basic and important aspects of the Islamic articles of faith to Muslims. First one is God, Allah. Islam is based on the belief that there is only one God, Allah, and that he is the creator of the universe and of mankind. We know, of course, this is not the God of the Christian. This is the first essential element of Islam, this Allah God. The doctrine of Allah, they believe, demands an uncompromising belief in him, in Allah, as God. As Christians, we know that Elohim, the mighty three-in-one creator God, is the one that actually created all things. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and and the earth. Muhammad accused Christians of being polytheists because of their belief in the Trinity. We know as Christians that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are all one. They are three separate parts of the one true God. The first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, confirms this with the mention of God in the Bible being Elohim, or the mighty three-in-one God. Muslims view Jesus as just a prophet and not the Son of God. That's Quran chapter 4, verse 171. But Jesus tells us in John 10:30, I and my Father are one. Another main uh, article of faith for the Muslims is the belief in angels. Angels are frequently mentioned in the Quran. According to Muhammad, the angel Gabriel spoke the words of the Quran to him. Angels are said to act as intermediaries, asking God to forgive the offenses of believers. Quran 40 verse 7. This is a false 
and sad teaching. Muslims believe they cannot directly ask for forgiveness. It has to be done through angels on their behalf. The Bible tells us that for Christians this is not the case in 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Christians don't have to go through angels, as Quran 40 verse 7 suggests Muslims have to. We have direct access to God in the form of Christ Jesus. Scriptures, another basic article of faith of Islam. They believe in four books given to man by God. The Torah, the Psalms, the Gospels, and the Quran. They regard these four books as scriptures, even though they believe the first three have been corrupted. Since they believe the first three to be corrupted, they believe those three to be in subjection to the Quran. They believe where they differ from the Quran is where they are corrupted, and the Quran is correct. They believe God did not have the ability to keep the first three pure, but then somehow got the ability to keep the Quran pure. But this is not true. God promised and did keep his word pure and complete for all mankind to have. And for us as English-speaking people, it is preserved in the King James Version of the Bible. Psalm 12, 6-7 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Next article of faith we're going to look at for Islam is Day of Judgment. The Day of Judgment. The final day of judgment occupies a very important place in the Quran and in the Hadith. Hadith is basically a collection of writings written down supposedly verbatim from the spoken words of Muhammad that serve as a commentary of sorts on the Quran. The Hadith is only second in importance to the Quran. Different sects of Muslims can believe in different versions of the Hadith as authentic. Islamic doctrine speaks of a coming Mahdi, the guided one, with signs that foreshadow the last day. ISIS seeks to bring about this last day. One of their stated goals is to be a key agent in the coming apocalypse. Some Sunni Muslims believe in an individual from the family of Muhammad will appear and reign for seven years to make the religion of Islam triumphant over the whole world before the end of days come. The Bible speaks of two coming judgments. The judgment seat of Christ, where believers will be judged for their works in service for Christ, and the great white throne judgment, where all non-believers will be judged, and then cast into the lake of fire forever with the devil and his demons. Revelation 20, 11-12 And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. Now we're going to examine the five pillars of Islam. Islam was probably most noted for these five pillars, which are actually five religious duties all Muslims are required to do. Muslims are required to do many things or perform many and various works to attain their so-called salvation. The Bible speaks against a works-based salvation. True salvation has nothing to do with what a man can do and, all, and has all to do with what Jesus has done for us already. Titus 3.5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And Ephesians 2.8-9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now back to the five pillars of Islam. The first is the creed of Islam, or the Shahada. This is something they are required to recite verbatim. 
in order to become a Muslim. They must recite this creed perfectly and loudly. They are also required to believe it with all their heart, keep it until their death, and declare it without hesitation. They must do all of this correctly in order to go to their heaven. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13 what one must really do to be saved and go to heaven. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Another article, another pillar of the Muslim faith is the Quran. Found in the Quran, excuse me, is prayers. The Quran only prescribes three daily prayers, but Islamic tradition now requires five. Muslims, before they pray, are required to wash their foreheads, their hands, and their feet. They must pray on a mat or rug, and they must remove their shoes before they step on the prayer rug. These prayer requirements are in sharp contrast to that of a Christian. We can come to God at any time, in any circumstance, without pretense or ceremony, and fellowship with him in prayer. Jesus wants us to come unto him, and we are not required to perform any ceremonies or works before we can. Psalm 66, 19-20 But verily God hath heard me, he hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Another pillar of Islam is the religious tax. Muslims are required to give alms to the poor as an outward sign of their piety. Muslim canon law assesses 1 40th or 2.5% of their in income as to be alms to the poor. Notice this is supposed to be an outward sign indicating their heart condition. It's supposed to be an outward sign indicating the inward condition of their heart. The Bible teaches against giving to be seen of men. The Bible teaches against giving to be seen as an indication of the inward condition of our heart. We are told to give to minister. That our giving is to be from a heart not to demonstrate a pious heart, but just from the heart because we want to give, we want to help. A Christian is to give as to not bring notice to the giving of the gift, where a Muslim is taught to give to bring notice to the giving of the gift. Jesus taught us to be concerned about our true heart condition rather than what people think our true heart condition is. Matthew 23, 27, and 28. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Another pillar is fasting. The fourth day of the fourth duty of a Muslim is to fast the 29 days of the month of Ramadan. This month coincides with our month of November. This fasting is required to be done from sunrise to sunset during this month. From sunset to sunrise, the fasting is lifted, and they can eat and drink like normal. They do this because according to Islamic teaching, those who observe this faithfully and in the spirit of repentance will receive remission of sins. The Bible tells us it is only by the shed blood of Christ that true remission can occur. Colossians 1.14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Not by any works we do, not by fasting, not by going through an intermediary angel. We have redemption through his blood, going directly to him and asking for that redemption. Another pillar of Islam is pilgrimage, called the Hajj. All Muslims are required to make a pilgrimage to the holy shrine of Kaaba in Mecca. This is an obligation that must be fulfilled at least once in a lifetime by every adult who is mentally and physically able to do so. Now let's look at the objective of Islam. It is to make Islam the universal religion. Islam claims to be the true religion, Quran 319. 
Quran 319 says the religion before Allah is Islam and submission to his will. Islam teaches that Islam is to be proclaimed over all other religions, Quran 933 and 3428. The Bible teaches that Jesus' name is to be above all names, and at his name every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that he, Jesus Christ, is King of kings and Lord of lords. He, Muhammad's knee, will be bowed one day to Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 10-11 That in the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. A main objective of Islam is to create Islamic political states. In Islam, there is no distinction between church and state. Islamic law and Western law differ in two major ways. Western laws govern one's relationship to the state and fellow citizens. Islamic law is much wider in scope. It regulates one's relationship with Allah and conscience as well as the state and fellow citizens. Islamic law consists of a comprehensive and usually repressive code of behavior. Islam is not content to be practiced as just a religion. Its goal is to create an ideal Muslim community governed by Sharia, or Islamic law. Now let's look at Jihad and the Quran. The term Jihad found in the Quran is often translated as holy war. It literally means struggle, either an inward or outward struggle for the advancement of Islam. There is a four-stage development in the Quran concerning Jihad. First, there is no retaliation for Islam. Second stage, defensive fighting is permitted. Third stage, defensive fighting is commanded. And the fourth stage, offensive war is commanded. Let's look at some verses from the Quran concerning Jihad. Then we will consider their implication to Islam today. Quoting from the Quran, True believers fight for the cause of God, but the infidels fight for the devil. Fight then against the friends of Satan. Quran 4.76 Christians would be considered infidels. Another th passage from the Quran. The believers who stay at home are not equals to those who fight for the cause of Allah with their goods and their persons. Allah has given those that fight with their goods and their persons a higher rank than those who stay at home. Quran 9, excuse me, Quran 4, 95 to 96. So those that literally fight for Allah are told they will receive a greater reward than those that do not. Another passage from the Quran. Slay the idolaters wherever you find them. Lie in ambush and everywhere for them. If they repent and take their prayer and render arms, alms levy, allow them to go their way. Quran 9.5 Jews, Christians, and all non-Muslims would fall into the idolaters category. Another quote from the Quran. Those who make war against Allah and his people and spread disorder in the land shall be put to death or crucified or have their hands and feet cut off on alternate sides or be banished from the land. They shall be held up to shame in this world and sternly punished in the hereafter except those that repent before you reduce them. Quran 5, 34, 35. Another quote from the Quran. Fight against such of those to whom the scriptures were given, and do not embrace the true faith, until they pay tribute out of hand and are utterly, utterly subdued. Quran 929. With the excerpts from the Quran we just read, you can understand why many people around the world question whether Islam is a peaceful religion. People will say the Bible has some violent parts to it too, and it does have some violent accounts written in it. But that violence in the Bible is historical in perspective and is limited in scope and application. In the Quran, a lot of violent commands are in a present continuing tense indicating these commands are to be continually carried out. Where violent actions were commanded to be done in the Bible was only in the Old Testament setting and most often in a way to be used to keep God's people pure and separated from the world. And to show by example, no matter what man could do, he could not make himself good enough to get to heaven. 
The Old Testament law was designed to show the helplessness of man, except for the saving grace of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, 10 to 14 says, For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now let's look at jihad in practice today. Islam present, uh, permits fighting and self-defense in defense of religion or on part of those who have been forcibly expelled from their homes. A key Muslim belief is good people need to be prepared to risk their lives and fortunes for the righteous cause of Islam. Today we see much fighting and terrorism in the world due to this Islamic doctrine, defining what one can and should fight for. Some Muslims only promote jihad within, within oneself. Others only promote fighting for self-defense. And then there are those that hold to the literal view of jihad as found in the Quran. They promote jihad to terrorize people and use it to set up Islamic governance in the cases of what ISIS has been trying to do. They're trying to set up a modern-day Islamic caliphate. With one, of, with one of the key teachings of Islam being that good people need to be prepared to risk their life and fortunes for the righteous cause of Islam is the worry that this teaching will incite others that are otherwise peaceful, seeming Muslims to become violent in the cause of Islam. When the radical concept of jihad is applied to the ultimate goal of Islam, and that is to establish Islamic states, there is bound to be war. That is the only logical conclusion one could come to. With what we have just read and learned about Islam, does it truly promote peace? Jesus does not direct us to be violent to those who do not respond to our witness. He does not teach violence and fighting as legitimate and even commanded duty of a Christian. No, Jesus loves a sinner. Jesus sought out the unbeliever and witnessed to them to get them saved. He never forced anyone to believe in him. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And in 1 John 4.16 And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Now let's look at modern Islam and Sharia. In every country where Sharia is embraced, at best, non-Muslims are discriminated against, and at worst, they face prison, torture, and even death just for living by their non-Muslim beliefs. In countries governed by Sharia, Christians are being slaughtered by the thousands. Muslims may also not convert to another religion. They face the death penalty if they do. For a Muslim to accept Christ as Savior in one of these countries, they do so knowing they may be bringing about their own execution. Again, is Islam peaceful? So in conclusion, in recent events, we have seen terrorism against innocent civilians perpetrated by Muslims around the world and in our own country. We have seen acts of terrorism either supported or approved by many Muslim nations. We have seen acts of terrorism against non-Muslims either weakly condemned or not condemned at all by other Muslim nations and organizations and leaders. Is Islam a religion of peace? It is very difficult to answer yes to this question. We know the true religion of peace will one day prevail. It was proclaimed by the Prince of Peace and his apostles, who renounced the use of the sword of man and instead used the sword of the Lord to advance the cause of the Prince of Peace and spread the hope of eternal peace around the world. John 18:36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. 
but now is my kingdom not from hence. And then James 3, 17 to 18. But the wisdom of God is that is that is from above, is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of the righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace.